Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, not coming to you live from polishing the pulpit. Um, last week's episode probably proves to you why I'm not coming to you live from PTP. I've learned something, at, at least for me. I like to look around when I podcast, even if it's just me in a room by myself, and I kind of practice if I were preaching it, even though this is a more... I don't know, I guess a laid-back setting, and it's not the exact same as if I were preaching a sermon. I try to at least hone the craft of using my gestures and making eye contact with random things in the room. So if that's the pop darts that are sitting, not pop tarts, pop darts, look it up, it's an awesome game, uh, not a sponsor. If it's the pop darts sitting on the shelf, or it's helmets that I have, or books or whatever, I, I try to connect to those things as if they're people practicing and I learned that when you do that at Polishing the Pulpit, people pe- people think you're looking at them to, like, invite them over for a conversation. And that's not what I was intending to do. And so uh, it made it a lot easier for people to just kind of, like, show up and talk. Looking at you, Justin. And so I decided to forego doing any more episodes at PTP. Now, we still are needing to get back on schedule. And how we're going to do that is by just good old-fashioned pre-scatter the broad days, me in my office, late at night, podcasting. So much fun. Last week we talked about the introduction to our three-week arc on one of my favorite sermons, which is from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And I've entitled that lesson, Jesus is in the Boat. And I wrote this, I'm amazed to say, about three weeks after lockdown started, uh, at really the height of the early stages of the the pandemic, and with so much uncertainty and so many things that we just, we, we didn't know what to expect, we weren't sure what was happening, I drew Luke chapter 8. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not before. I probably have, so just forgive me. I mean, this is season six, and it's not even season six total of what I've done. I I did a few seasons before this. This is really like season eight. So I might have told you how it used to be, but I used to work at a congregation in Somerville, Tennessee with Ryan Manning. Ryan and I were co-preachers, and for those of you preachers that might be listening, it actually worked. It worked great. Ryan would preach one service, and I'd preach the other, and then we'd rotate to the service the next week that we didn't preach the week before. Ryan and I loved to be coordinated. Maybe maybe more so I loved to be coordinated than Ryan tolerated that, but we would plan our year out. And early on in the process, we determined that it would be wise for us to do an Old Testament book and a New Testament book every year, covering chapters of the Bible that way. And so we decided that every year we were going to pick one of each and preach it. And we almost made it through the gospel account of Matthew through John. We preached Mark, Luke, and John, but I I don't think we got Matthew. Sorry uh, for those of you at Somerville that were thinking, you know, we didn't complete that. Maybe Ryan and I could do a podcast down the road someday where we, we talk about the book of Matthew. Hey, if you want to hear that, put it, you know, in an email at thescatterthebroadnetwork at gmail.com. But Ryan and I did this thing where we would draft our sermons. 
he knew that the fantasy football player and just football nerd in me loves drafting. And so we would try to allow for one sermon to be drafted for each person, and then another time we would often draft another sermon for another person. And before the pandemic happened, because this was December of 2019, here I am with Ryan Manning sitting in a Barnes & Noble, and we're trying to prepare our sermons for 2020 with no idea what was going to happen. And we were going through the book of Luke. And I drew the straw to draft, and I picked Luke 8. And as luck would have it, when you do two sermons a month from an Old Testament and New Testament book, that means four of your sermons every month, of course, are going to come from just a chapter of the Bible. Which meant that in April, I had the privilege of preaching this sermon. Jesus is in the boat. Little did I know when I drafted that sermon that it would become a favorite sermon of mine. Not because I think I did just such an amazing job, but because I enjoyed the study and how even in 2020, it was applicable. Something that probably would have felt a little bit cheapened in some ways. We've heard this story before. We sing it all the time. Master, the tempest is raging. You, you know the song. You know the, you know the story. So why does it matter in 2020, and why would it matter in 2023? It, it matters because it's a timeless truth. Jesus is in the boat. And last week, in the midst of all the chaos that was Justin Johnson, Jonathan Burns, and Caleb Rutherford hopping on the podcast quickly. I asked you to think about a question. And that question was, where is your faith? And that's what this episode is titled. Where is your faith? There are two rebukes that we want to talk about today. First comes from the disciples. In Luke 8, 24, they come down to Jesus and they find him sleeping and they wake him up and they say, Master, Master, we're we're perishing. Get the full picture here. The boat's going down. They're going down. And and sometimes when we're not thinking clearly, we we speak out of turn. I I have a real big tendency when I'm what we call hangry. You know, you haven't eaten in a while, and so you start to become hungry and then angry and then hangry. It's a real thing. Look it up. I can be very short with my spouse or my children, and I'll just say, I'm sorry, I need to eat. I need to eat some food. And sometimes we speak out of turn when that happens. And the disciples, they they did just that. But see, Luke doesn't give us something that Mark does. Luke 8.24 just simply says, Master, Master, we're perishing. And when you just read that account, it seems like a very legitimate and understandable statement. I mean, they are going down. Watch Mark 4.38. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Can you imagine having the just the absolute gall to ask the very being that created these disciples if he cared for them? And you might be thinking, Michael, I don't I don't know that we can go that far. I mean, Jesus is obviously God, but 
God created the heavens and the earth. John records something interesting when he opens his book in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And, and all things, verse 3, were made by him. And without him, there wasn't anything made. Meaning Jesus signed off on the creation of our universe. He, he signed off on the creation of our world. He created these disciples. When in Genesis 1, 26-27, God said, let's make man in our image. And here are those images having the audacity to accuse Jesus of not caring for them. You know, children, they don't always understand why certain things happen the way that they do. Children always want the good over the bad, and if they don't get it exactly as they pictured it, then then there's a major problem. Uh, My son Adam is learning after major holidays, you know, there might be a birthday or Christmas or something like that where we will exchange gifts. And then we end up in the store, and Adam will say, hey, can we go to the toy aisle? And I say, no, because I'm a horrible dad. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm not, I mean, maybe, maybe I am. I don't know. If you think I'm a horrible dad, you can put it in the show notes. I'll find our email, and you can email me that. Um, at the scattered abroad network at gmail.com. But anyways, I'll say to Adam, no, we're not doing that because you, you just got all of these gifts and you, you don't need more right now. And despite however many gifts he would have gotten for his birthday, for Christmas, for whatever, it's never enough. He always wants more. And the disciples, by their rebuke of Jesus, they're proving that they evidently never expected hardship following him. They just expected everything was going to be fine. Everything was going to be great. And so they rebuke their master. And that just blows my mind. But there's a second rebuke that happens here, and it's a rebuke of Jesus. He rebukes the storm. Again, we're going to look at Mark 4 for this specific account because it says he arose, verse 39, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He didn't say, please be still. He didn't have to beg the storm to obey him. He had the authority over it being the creator of all things on this earth, John 1, 1 through 3. Don't don't you wish you had the, the power to tell a storm to stop? Look, I cannot tell you how many times I have had to pack a car in the rain. Before I worked for the Memphis School of Preaching and was on the road a lot more. But I hate it when I wake up and I have to leave to go on a trip. And I'm getting everything ready to go. And I look outside the window and it's raining. Because that means I'm going to have to walk out into the rain and load everything up and my suit's probably going to get wet. And what if I slip and it falls out of my hand and get, there's just so many variables, you know? I mean, it's just so much more than a sunny day. 
don't you wish in those moments when it was inconvenient that you could just tell the storm to stop? Nah, that's a petty reason. Think of the damage, though, that weather has often caused to our world. You know, if a tornado was in the area, what what can you and I do other than take shelter and pray? Or, like some people I know, hop in the car and chase the storm. I would have loved to have seen the look on the disciples' faces when this storm ceased. However, Jesus is now going to shift his rebuke from the storm to the disciples. He asked them in Luke 8, 25, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled and they said to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water and they obey him. Why would Jesus ask them, where's your faith? Well, they've been with him. I mean, we know that. They've witnessed Jesus perform miraculous healings and helping to all different types of people. They'd seen his handling of the Pharisees and others who sought to trip and ensnare him. And each and every time, Jesus came out on top. It's, it's like that annoying athlete for your rival team that just somehow, some way, always seems to have one more down, one more pass, one more play, and they just always come out on top no matter what you do. And you think you got them. Bills fans know all too well. You think you got Mahomes. There's only 13 seconds left. He ties it up. Jesus came out on top each and every time. And they knew that certain things that were supposed to happen in in order for Jesus' ministry to be a success, but if they sank and drowned, none of that would have been fulfilled. So what really did they expect Jesus to do when they woke him up? I mean, they seemed surprised that the wind ceased. Could it have been that they were just trying to get him to recognize the severity of the situation? Yeah, possibly. But why is Jesus not afraid? He had faith. He, he knew they were going to make it to the other side. His followers didn't understand, but that's really the whole point. I want you to hear this part very carefully. The meaning and result of our text in Luke 8, 22 through 26 is not that the storm was calmed. That's not the key central point of our text. It's merely the catalyst for the key central idea. And the central idea and the point of our text is this, that Jesus Christ has power and dominion over the world. And a great lesson to be learned in this passage is that tragedy and hardship can build and strengthen our faith. And watch this promise that we talked about last week being fulfilled. They sailed to the other side, opposite of Galilee, Luke 8, 26. Just as Jesus promised, they made it to the other side. All that fear. And what did it really get them? nowhere but exactly where Jesus had already promised them where's your faith what might you know that others don't what might you be able to help people realize by living a faithful life Next week, Lord willing, 
We're going to talk about how we live in times of fear. And I can't wait to talk about that with you. For me, it's going to be about 10 seconds after I finish this episode, hopefully. For you, it'll be, Lord willing, one week from today. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, please God now, in this life, so our eternity can be far better.